and whose house was on fire. And it was one of those situations where the fire was already so critical or so severe that it was clear the house was going to be lost. And so he was rushing to try and grab some things to get get something out of the house before it was completely consumed with fire. You know what he picked up? You know what he got out with? Yesterday's newspaper. Now think about that. In the In the big scheme of things... Especially as the house is burning down, yesterday's newspaper is not at all important. Uh, but uh, I suppose we can sympathize with the with the uh, panic of a situation like that. But that's certainly a case of misplaced priorities, right? That's that's forgetting what's really important. That's getting things all out of order. Uh, again, under those circumstances, we might understand it. But certainly, there were other things that should have been more important to him at that time. Probably all of us would agree that we have similarly messed up, probably under less trying circumstances than that, where we forgot what was really important and reached for something less than important. We didn't put first things first. Some of you have probably heard of my notorious experience of having a, a, a an accident uh, while taking my eye off the road and reaching across the seat to pick up a goo-goo cluster. That was a number of years ago, but the, the goo-goo cluster was a lot less important than staying on the road and driving carefully, not putting first things first. That's what we're talking about. There's a real danger in the spiritual realm that we make the same mistake, that we fail to put first things first, we, we, we forget what's most important, and we get things out of order, so to speak. And Really, we find that God's Word is full of admonitions to us. Put first thing first. Get this done in order that you can do that. Keeping things in the right prioritized order is the idea. And so for a few minutes this morning, we want to look at some of those admonitions. And we might use the expression that is fairly common, put first things first. That's what we need to do. And I want to look at a number of areas where God says, do this so that you'll be able to do that. Do this first before you try to do that. First things first, that's the, the idea that we want to pursue in our lesson this morning. Before we get into that any further, we stop here to say a word of welcome. As Lee already expressed, we're grateful for the presence of everyone and for our visitors. Please come again whenever you have a chance. We're always glad to have you and any visitors, and we want you to feel welcome. We'd also be open to any questions you have about what we're doing here at College View. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks to every worshiper for your presence this morning, for your participation in this important time of worship. First things first. Put first things first. Let me give you an idea of, of the, uh, the idea that we're trying to pursue here by suggesting that we need to reconcile with others that we may have issues with even before we try to approach God in worship. In the text that Gage read for us earlier from Matthew chapter 5, that's the very thing that Jesus was talking about when he said, verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Uh, this passage is one among many that suggests our heart needs to be right before we attempt to worship God, and that our worship to God can even be rendered unacceptable to Him if we haven't put first things first. And so we need to work toward reconciliation with others before we try to worship God. I'm afraid that all too often, 
even Christians, as Christians, we go through the motions of worship, and our, our worship has been rendered vain or useless because we allow personal differences and animosities to exist, and we haven't made any effort to reconcile those. Put first things first. There's a lot of things about our hearts that need to be right before we try to approach God in worship, and one of them is our relationship with our brethren, and that's what Jesus was talking about here. I don't, I'm not sure that we really spend time contemplating and understanding that personal differences can be a big hindrance to our relationship with God. I'll give you a specific verse that indicates this in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 7. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, those that your prayers be not hindered. What's Peter saying there? Now, here's a specific application. Be right with others so that it doesn't interfere with your relationship with God. Here he's talking about husbands and wives specifically. But if, if I don't have a right relationship with my wife, what can be the outcome of that? My prayers can be hindered. In other words, my, my relationship with God can suffer because I haven't maintained a right relationship with my wife. There's one. That's a specific case, right? You can generalize that principle. Uh, my relationship with God can be hindered because I have a bad relationship with my brother or sister in Christ. And I haven't worked to reconcile that, and I haven't done anything to try to make that right, and I just go on as though it doesn't matter. Jesus said it does matter. And so this is the idea that we're trying to pursue in our lesson this morning. You've got to put first things first, and this would just be an example of that. Reconcile with others before you try to approach God and worship. There's lots of other similar things like that mentioned in the Word of God. For instance, we're told that we need to correct our own life before we try to correct others. My guess is that many of you can think of the passage that I'm going to in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 is almost certainly the most, or at least one of the most misused verses in all the New Testament. Judge not that you be not judged. Have you, have you ever heard the old expression, I wish I had a nickel for every time I've heard, or every time this or that has happened? Someone said, I wish I had a nickel for every time I've heard Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, misused. Well, you'd probably be very rich if you had a nickel for every time that was misused. But I, someone recently used an expression that I thought was much better than that. Uh, and they said, uh, I wish a person had been converted to Christ every time that passage, uh, for, for, for every time that passage has been misused. The kingdom of God would be a lot bigger if that were the case. Um, the text, of course, we've studied many times before, uh, and we know that verses 3 through 5 tell us what kind of judging he has in mind. It's this hypocritical judging, wherein I'm trying to correct your fault before I've taken care of my own. Verse 3, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how will thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Do, get first things first. First take care of your own issues. Then, he says, you'll be able to help someone else with the problem that they have. This passage does not preclude judging altogether, right? Uh, it, it precludes hypocritical judging, where I'm not taking care of my problems and I'm trying to judge you for yours. Put first things first. Of course, we know other passages teach that we are even commanded to judge. John chapter 7, verse 24, judge righteous judgment. The New Testament does not preclude judging, 
But what it does tell us to do is put first things first. Take care of your own problems before you try to address the problems of others. In Galatians chapter 6, at verse 1, again, a passage that tells us we should try to help others, but make sure our, our, that we're right ourselves. Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I am supposed to try to help my brother. I'm supposed to restore my brother. If he's overtaken in a fault, I'm supposed to go to him. But I've got to make sure I'm right too. I've got to make sure my heart is right. First things first, correct your own life before you try to correct others. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, at verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul tells Timothy, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Uh, so, in other words, I want you to remind them, but in, in the course of reminding them, what did he tell him? Verse 16, same text, Take heed to thyself and into the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So yes, I want you to be teaching others, Paul said, but you make sure you take care of yourself first. Correct your own life before you try to correct others. So that's another one of these principles. First things first. Make sure your priorities are in order. Do things in the right order is the concept. Here's another idea of the same notion found in the Word of God, and that is that we're supposed to count the cost before we commit ourselves. You ever, I know you have, driven down the road and you see a house that someone started to build and then it obviously has been abandoned. The construction got up so far and then they just stopped and they, and they went away and maybe the weeds and everything have grown up all around it and it's clear that no work is being done there. It's partially started but not finished and you just... I always wonder, wonder what happened there. I wonder what happened to the guy who was building that house. Why didn't he finish that house? Why did he get started and not finish it? Well, Jesus talked about that in Luke chapter 14. And he was making application to that, to our spiritual commitment to God. And his message is, you should be committed to God. But before you decide to commit yourself to God, make sure you understand the cost that will be involved and what will be required of you to follow this through. Make sure you understand you're making a lifelong commitment. Don't start if you don't intend to finish. In Luke chapter 14, beginning verse 27, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. So Jesus said, you know, what about that guy who starts his house and doesn't finish it? And everybody says, yeah, look at that guy. He didn't, he didn't consider how much it was going to cost him before he started building that big house. And he got partway done with it. Now he doesn't have the money to finish it. What an embarrassment is the idea. Somebody who didn't count the cost before he started construction. But Jesus is making the application to us spiritually. Count the cost of being a disciple before you start to do it. Now, you should be a disciple. That's not in question. But you need to understand that this is going to be a costly thing and you're going to have to sacrifice and you have to follow through. So, uh, unfortunately, we have known uh, too many who started and didn't finish their walk with Christ. And apparently the problem is the one that Jesus is describing here. Not adequately counting the cost. And so we all should do that. Uh, in verses 31 through 33 here, still in Luke chapter 14, 
He says, what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Make sure you understand the commitment involved in being a disciple before you start down that road. Now, you should start down that road without question. But know what you're getting into. Count the cost. Understand the commitment. Uh, lots of Christians need to understand you committed yourself to something. You need to follow it through. There's a cost involved. Understand that. Again, as we said, unfortunately, we, we know many, sadly, who fit the description of Second Peter chapter 2. In Second Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 20, he speaks of some who after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, are again entangled therein and, and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. That's a sad picture. But unfortunately, there are way too many who fit that description. And probably it involved this error of not counting the cost before making the commitment. Another example of the same thing we're talking about, first things first. You need to put spiritual things before earthly considerations. Matthew chapter 6 it's interesting how many times we see this kind of thing emphasized. We already looked at several statements in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's another one in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, beginning. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, What's he saying? First things first. Spiritual considerations have to become before earthly ones. Now, there are earthly things to be concerned about. What to eat, what to drink, what will, we, what will we wear, what clothing will we have. But understand, the Lord knows you have need of these things. Instead of making those first priority, put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you measure such things, but this may be one of the most violated commands uh, in all that Jesus taught. The idea of not putting first the kingdom. Now, too many Christians uh, will give lip service to God and they'll give the right answers when they are asked. And they know that if you were to ask any Christian, what's your first priority in life? I, I really hope that everybody knows the right answer to that question. God is first priority in my life. We know how to give the right answer, but the question is, do we follow through with that in every decision that we make? Uh, everything involving my work, everything involving my family, everything involving my recreation, do I really put God first and His kingdom? Do I put spiritual things before earthly considerations I need to be sure that I've got first things first in my life. That's what Jesus is saying, and that's what we need to do. Paul says that we need to give ourselves to God before we attempt to give of our means. This is a specific case, but the general principle that we want to draw from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking about, really chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about how he was, this was on his final missionary journey before he returned to Jerusalem where he would ultimately be arrested. But he was going among the churches and taking up a collection for needy saints in Jerusalem. And he was really urging the church at Corinth to participate in that and to do so generously. And some of the passages that we read very often on Sunday uh, after we've partaken the Lord's Supper and then when we go to the part of our worship where we make a contribution, very often we reference some of those verses that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, urging them to give generously. But it was all in the context of this special contribution that was being taken up for the needy saints in Jerusalem. And so he's urging the, the, the church at Corinth to get involved in that and be generous and to urge them on. He mentions in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed unto the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. And so Paul says to the Corinthian church, I want to tell you about the churches up in Macedonia and how generous they were. And they, they begged us to be able to participate in this contribution for the needy saints. And he says they're really very poor people up there, by the way. They're really very poor people, but they were begging us to be able to participate in this contribution for the needy saints at Jerusalem. And so he's, he's using them as an example to spur on the church at Corinth to be generous. But what would cause people to do that? Why would these churches of Macedonia have been so generous in their poverty, so generous to help others? Verse 5, uh, they gave their own selves, they first gave their own selves to the Lord. Uh, that's what we're talking about here. Give yourself to God before you give of your means. Or really, over here we could say, before you try to do anything else. Give yourself to God first before you try anything else. But if you really committed to God, then the other things become easier. And so he's using here giving as a specific case, but the principle is a broad one. If we've really given ourselves to God, then it's easy to do everything else that we're expected to do. We might parallel this to marriage, you know. But when we get married, if we com totally commit to our mate, then everything else is easy. You know, if we're really, com if husbands are really committed to their wives, if wives are really committed to their husbands, then all the all the questions are already answered before they're asked. You know, uh, in, in our wedding vows, we often say, "In sickness as well as in health." Well, my mate gets sick. Am I going to am I going to see to her needs? Am I going to tend to her? Am I going to help help her through a difficult? Well, of course, that's already answered, right? I gave myself to my wife when we married. Now all the all the questions are already answered. You don't have to ask. Well, if your wife gets sick, are you going to stand by her and help her through her sickness? Well, of course I am. What a silly question to ask. Well, I committed that years ago, right? Same principle with God. If we have committed ourselves fully to Him then the answers should be easy. Um, in fact, the answers are already given. We don't have to every time it comes time to attend to worship. You know, ah, am I going to go to church today or not? Uh, am I going to study my Bible tonight, today or not? Am I going to pray today or not? 
Those answers are already out there, right? They constitute a commitment that was made a long time ago when we gave ourselves to God, and now we follow through in all of the particulars. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the idea of total commitment. And once we've made that total commitment, then we don't have to wrestle with the decision. I think... Uh, Oh, one of the problems that a lot of Christians have, they, they, they seem com- constantly conflicted spiritually. They don't know what they're going to do. They, they're, they're always battling the decisions about right and wrong and about what they should do and not do. The, the problem there is they haven't put first things first. They haven't really given themselves to God. Once you've given yourselves to God, then, as he says there in Second Corinthians 8, giving of your money is an easy thing. But again, broaden that concept. Doing everything else, God says, is an easy thing once we have really given ourselves to Him. So, there's a concept here that is not hard to grasp. It's actually kind of common sense or logical to say you've got to keep things in their right order. First things first. We use that principle in so much of our daily lives, but spiritually it also is applicable. We've seen several examples, and there are more in the Scriptures of, the, of this sort. But you put first things first. Reconcile to others before you try to worship God. Correct your own life before you try to correct others. Count the cost before you commit yourself to be a disciple of the Lord. Put spiritual things before earthly material ones. Give yourself to God, and then everything else becomes easy in the process. Have you got first things first in your life? Uh, In the final analysis, nothing else will matter. Ultimately, it only matters if you put first things first spiritually. Let me speak to those of us who are Christians already. Are you following through? Are you keeping your priorities in order? Are you keeping first things first? Or are you doing, as we said at the outset, are you doing the spiritual equivalent of grabbing yesterday's newspaper while the house is burning down? I'm concerned that there are some Christians who are doing that. In the spiritual sense, they're grabbing yesterday's newspaper as the house burns down around them, grasping for something unimportant rather than seeing what's ultimately important. Does that describe you as a Christian? Have you been failing to put first things first? If so, we beg you to come back to God in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help you with prayer, we'd be glad to pray with you and for you so that you can leave this place once again in a right relationship with God. For those who are not yet Christians we would urge you to think about the importance of making that decision. Now, you've got to count the cost. We would urge you to do that. But being a disciple of the Lord is so important. Making that decision. Count the cost. Know what's involved. Know that you're committing yourself to a lifelong relationship of, of faithful service to God. But the, but the rewards of that, the blessings of that, the benefits of that are so great. Forgiveness of past sins, a relationship with God and His body, the church, and the hope of heaven when this life is over. If you're not a Christian yet, we hope you make that decision to obey the gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.